You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. And today we're going to be talking about advertising and branding and the most recent Super Bowl. With me today are some people from a company called EDO, which does some really interesting stuff to understand advertising and the engagement that advertising receives. So welcome uh, Kevin Krim, who is president and CEO of EDO, and Bob Crowd, who is EDO's strategic advisor, and he's a former CMO for Papa John's. So I guess, you know, whoever wants to take this first one. So explain to me, you know, what EDO does. Thanks, Barbara. Uh, This is Kevin. I'll I'll happily take it. Uh, So EDO got started uh, almost six years ago uh, with this idea that um, digital marketing had sort of trained marketers to expect more out of their media. And uh, and also this, this realization that the way the 21st century consumer was interacting with TV ads was not that different from digital. It was just harder to see it harder to know what was happening. Um, the, the reality of the 21st century consumer is that we are uh, always watching TV, live live linear TV, with a connected device at our fingertips. Uh, it, the, the, the data says it's about 88%. I think the other 12% are charging their phones because everyone from very young children to very, very old people, everyone's got their phone or some other connected device at their fingertips as they watch TV. And there's this magic near Pavlovian moment where when you see something interesting in the programming or in the commercial breaks, you Google it. And what EDO does is we monitor every single one of those ad airings that are happening on national TV. And we're also simultaneously gathering minute by minute searches that people are doing for all the brands and products that are on TV, that are advertising on TV. And when we see an ad air for a brand, like Papa John's or uh, uh, Jimmy John's uh, uh, sandwiches. Uh, when we see one of those, we go and look at the minute by minute changes in searches. And what we always see is some spike, either a little or very distinct spike in people searching for those brands. It's just a portion of the people who are watching live, but you can turn that into a, a response rate, just like, you know, uh, good old fashioned mailers or, or email campaigns or anything else that you do in your marketing, you can see the response rates. Well, now you can see that for your TV as well. And what that search represents is, is first of all, just the search itself is very valuable because that's often people navigating towards, um, a website, uh, the maps, you know, uh, Google maps or to, uh, download the app, whatever it is that's being promoted. But it also is representative of consideration and intent. And so for every person that we can measure searching, there's there's some other pe- group of people that were affected by the ad, um, but maybe didn't search. And so when you start to use this as a signal of efficacy of your advertising, you can do very different things with your TV, like you've been doing with digital for many years now. You can start to change the rotation of your different creatives that you may have in flight. Maybe this limited time offer is working better than this other, and you can start to um, really adapt in real time 
how you're 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 using your TV uh, campaigns to drive uh, consumers into your restaurants. So why is this search engagement so important um, to brands? Well, I'll I'll let actually Bob, who's the practitioner here, uh, I'll let him describe that. Well, I I think it's important in terms of search engagement because uh, that's a strong signal in terms of purchase intent. You're actually taking some sort of action rather than raising your hand saying you saw the ad, which is a top funnel measure, which is has a weak linkage to uh, uh, taking some sort of action. And that's what brands want to measure as Kevin references, uh, reference the, you know, treating your television advertising now like uh, digital advertising, you get that kind of data. And we provide it in the form of search engagement uh, for advertiser clients. Uh, I think the advantages are it uh, is in a number of different areas. It helps you with your planning of your advertising in terms of um, uh, what mix of creative that you might be um, uh, offering in the marketplace and then with your media selectivity. So for instance, if you're running uh, two different ads uh, during a campaign window, uh, marketing window, as we call it in the QSR business, um, then you're able to measure the whether one was more effective than the other in terms of search engagement and then adjust and reweight the uh, the mix re- regarding the creative in that way you would be optimizing your your media plan and also your creative rotation and we also have finite data that goes down to uh, day parts various different customer groups whether they're young males or female head of household or older consumers or millennials etc you can measure this all of this data on that level uh, in addition to down to uh, individual programs and individual networks. So it has a lot of implications for planning and uh, on the creative side and the media side. And I think that's why it's very attractive to our clients. So it allows them, um, you know, to use this real-time data to, um, you know, to get this uh, initial response to these ads, which is something you know, that years ago they they didn't have, they would put things out there. You know, and they're, they're spending a significant amount of capital um, and, uh, and innovation and creativity in putting these ads together. Um, so the information that you're providing them then allows them to kind of pivot quickly so they can they... Um, you know, rework ads, is that kind of what they're doing with the information that you're providing? It, it can't be that, but just think of it like when you start a digital campaign, you're doing display advertising. You might do a number of different executions and then you judge what the response is uh, on the fly, really, and you make adjustments in terms of uh, what ads you want to run. Uh, and uh, you could do that now with your television in real time and if a typical marketing window is four to six weeks in our business, uh, what you can typically do with our data is make an adjustment within a week or two weeks. Everybody knows that when you do an LTO, if it's not working in the first week, it's unlikely it's going to work through the duration of your window. So uh, EDO provides a valuable real-time tool set to help you manage that because uh, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to be. And uh, here you can make changes on the fly and you can 
uh, salvage a marketing window that might not be going right in the sales column for you. Now you can also, you provide a lot of data, but there are there any particular metrics that um, brands pay attention to or should be paying attention to? Well, the, the key metric here is that response rate. It's that um, on a, on a per person basis who of the audience that was watching live, what portion of them responded with the signal of, of search. And, and what's interesting is you can look at it at a creative level. You can also look at it at a programming level and you can say, well, you know, as I head into the upfront, which is starting basically now, the, the, the big brands that we're talking about here are already planning their upfront buy that will happen in May and June. And they'll say, well, you know, I have finite dollars. These are big budgets, but they're still finite. And I needed to work harder for me. And um, they'll say, well, I've invested a lot in a bunch of pro sports. Um, I've invested a lot in primetime entertainment. Where should I where should I move the dollars around to make the most out of uh, of my TV spend? Because you can look at this on a per dollar basis and say, what's working harder for me? Is it the NBA, the NFL, MLB? Is it um, news on cable? Is it uh, a scripted or unscripted entertainment on uh, on broadcast? And and we help break those ties. We help give a much harder quant driven way of thinking about the efficacy of your your dollars in TV. So we we recently had the Super Bowl, which is the uh, you know the big time for ads. Um, you know, they have the ads have their own TV show. So yeah. it's, you know, it's the the big time. Um, so, you know, what what were things that came out of the Super Bowl ads? Um, you know, when you put together all of your data um, that kind of surprised you? Well, this year in particular, it was the ads were more exciting than the game. <laughs> that's a, you know. That's a, we'll, we'll, bl- we'll blame <laughs> yes. Tom Brady for that and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, hats off to them on their win, but it was not as competitive as, as many other Super Bowls. And, and we do see that have a, a pretty pronounced effect, by the way, Barbara. When uh, games get uncompetitive, we see the engagement levels with the ads go down. And that's, that's not always obvious to people. Um, but what we're really reflecting here is that lean-in engagement that people now have with TV. People used to think of TV as a lean back thing, but because of the the ubiquity of connected devices in people's hands, it's always lean in. And so whether you're paying attention or distracted, that shows up in our data very, very clearly. So it may be counterintuitive, but a competitive game or a, just a compelling entertainment program gets better results in our data for the ads in those programs than the inverse. So, you know, good programming drives good results for ads. That's a that's sort of a, a a big takeaway from EDO's six years of experience. So the Super Bowl is the best single event on television for driving uh, engagement with ads. We've seen this for six Super Bowls now that EDO's measured. The average, uh, the average of all advertising across all categories, um, someone exposed to one of these ads in the Super Bowl is four to five times more likely to search for the brands being advertised in the minutes following these ads than for the average ad in primetime broadcast. Four to five times 
So when you think of, that's on a per person basis. So when you think about the reach of the Super Bowl, which reaches about a hundred million households, hundred million, you know, folks are sitting in front of the their TVs watching the Super Bowl, and they're paying attention to these ads in in great numbers. It is a hugely valuable place to be as a brand. Um, when we look at the total impact, when you inc- combine that huge reach with the uh, per person likelihood that they're going to engage with these ads, you'd have to buy 140 primetime broadcast ads to get the same impact as a single Super Bowl spot. When you think about a number like that, you realize that paying $5.5 million for a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl is a good buy. It's a smart economic decision. But what it also says, because I'm talking in averages here, it says that the pressure is on the creative. And then the, the the random chance here is whether the game's going to be a competitive good game or not. So this year's Super Bowl um, overall was uh, just shy of 10% less engaging for the ads in the Super Bowl than last year's Super Bowl. The The really pronounced effect was that the first quarter ads were, were significantly more engaging than the second half ads. So you saw as the game was still very competitive in the first half, as it started to slip away, so did the engagement with the ads. And so placement within the game was was something that you know we we can help with in terms of maximizing your chances. Because in but but in but this year it was it was you know it was a it was a real outlier. I mean, in past years we'd seen the second half actually outperform the first half in terms of ad engagement because we've had a lot of competitive Super Bowls over the past few years. So, um, so there's that that that's the sort of overall sort of framing of this. Um, what was fascinating about this year's Super Bowl for restaurant brands? Four of the six restaurant related brands that were in uh, the Super Bowl this year, four of the six were new. They had never done the Super Bowl over the the, the six years that we've covered it. Um, those you know those new ones included uh, Jimmy John's, Chipotle, as well as you know notably DoorDash and Uber Eats, which you know you could maybe quibble shouldn't be in the restaurant category or not, but we did include them in that um, for these purposes. And then you had returning you know very stalwart brands like uh, McDonald's and Pizza Hut also in the game. Well, I mean, I think you want to include DoorDash and Uber Eats because the, um, you know, the focus of their ads was supporting local restaurants. Um, right. But as your research found, one of them was a little bit more effective in in spreading that message than the other. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, and was it that, uh, you know, the timeless Sesame Street characters were just a little bit more appealing than right. the aging Wayne and Garth? <laughs> uh, well, that that's that that is that is a hypothesis. Um, so, uh, Barbara, you, Barbara's referring to for those listening at home or at work. Uh, our, our the number one restaurant ad in our measurement this year was DoorDash. Um, their sixty second spot came in uh, in our overall rankings of eighty nine ads that were in the Super Bowl or around the Super Bowl in the pre kick or post. Um, of those eighty nine ads, DoorDash came in twenty sixth. That was the highest ranking among the um, the restaurant related ads. Uh, it happened to very notably be in, in early in the first quarter. It was in uh, very very beginning of the game, which was a good placement. Um, and someone who saw that DoorDash ad was fifty eight percent 
um, uh, uh, got it, it was searched for fifty eight percent more than the average uh, Super Bowl ad. So it was a good outperformance for DoorDash. It did, as as you noted, it featured the beloved uh, Sesame Street cast, um, and it also featured uh, you know the very popular hot. Uh, star, uh, one of the co-stars of, of Hamilton, David Diggs, um, who has gotten a lot of attention over the past couple of years because of Hamilton and the stuff he's done in the follow-up. So that was a, a winning combination. And, you know, in my experience over all these Super Bowls we've measured, a couple things matter. Um, first, you need to be introducing something um, that is relevant to the consumer. And you need to be you need to be combining that with a with a good, exciting, creative idea. It also very, very importantly has to be authentic. And I think this is where the real separation between DoorDash and Uber Eats came in. Uh, authenticity does matter. And Uber Eats came in last in our restaurant rankings. It was the 59th uh, most effective ad in the game. So not terrible in terms of its performance, but it was below the average. Uh, pretty significantly. And I think the difference there was it didn't feel authentic for Wayne and Garth, who, yes, do look, you know, look a little older than they did back when they first you know, debuted. Uh, it didn't feel relevant for them to be talking about ordering from their local restaurants. Uh, and while I, I found Cardi B, uh, her presence in the in the ad to really freshen it up and make it more relevant to the audience, it still didn't resonate with what Uber Eats is selling at the end of the day. Whereas the DoorDash creative very effectively did that. So both of these ads have received some backlash because they are, you know, uh, third-party delivery apps that are, are taking money from local restaurants. But in here, the message is, you know, go and support your local restaurants. Um, is, is that backlash something that you can notice in any of your results? I would say we don't see we don't see that sort of thing in our in our data. Um, importantly, we don't measure sentiment, um, and we do that for a reason. We feel that sentiment is good to know as a marketer. You want to understand what the feelings are, the emotions are around what you're doing. But EDO has always set out to be predictive of sales. We want our metrics to give you a leading indicator on what's going to happen whether you're selling uh, pizzas or uh, cars or uh, new movies. And um, we find that sentiment is largely uncorrelated with actual economic results, whereas what people do in terms of searching with their fingertips um, and, and other behavioral uh, signals like going to visit a website, downloading an app, all of those, those are predictive of the kind of things that restaurant owners and restaurant franchises want to drive, which is sales at the end of the day. So we don't measure the the sentiment. I mean, I, I as a as just a person who cares about this industry a lot, um, I don't disagree with the concerns. I think those are very real. At the same time, these you know these delivery services are clearly filling a consumer need. So you know, I, I'd certainly like to see some kind of economic kind of compromise, uh, you know, come, come out of all of this where, where the restaurants are being treated more fairly and, and yet the consumer is getting what they need. Yeah, Barbara, I, I would just add on that. Um, you know, there's two sides of that story with regard to um, 
the fees that the third-party delivery services charge. And uh, basically, it's experienced by all restaurants. And not everybody pays 30%. That's standard rate card. But um, many, many restaurants have uh, adapted to that. And what uh, what has been typical in the industry uh, since basically you, you want to satisfy the customer. If they kind of want it at home, you've got to be there. And you have a choice of not being there, not selling it, or uh, being there, providing it yourself and incurring that expense yourself or using a third party delivery app. What a lot of restaurants have done is they put a they have two menus. They have a dine in or carry out uh, menu or a dine in menu, uh, which has the full menu. Uh, and then there's a, um, a delivery carry out menu, which has fewer items on it. And it has uh, in, increased prices on it to cover that. So no matter how it goes, I mean, if they're providing a service, someone's going to pay for that. And the consumer has been telling us that they're willing to pay for higher prices to get delivery. And what a lot of restaurants do, and I this is firsthand experience with myself, I removed all the LTOs, which were, you know, 32 to 35 percent food costs. Uh, so uh, we weren't uh, uh, having a further loss on those kinds of items or just not a larger profit margin and uh, basically put higher margin items and promoted it and featured it and then have fewer choices. And that's how restaurants have been dealing and accommodating it. There have been a lot of restaurants that um, are taking it on the chin. I think it gets compounded because of COVID. Uh, as well. So you can't really tease out what the third party guys doing it or is it COVID? Probably a combination of both. But there are strategies on way to deal with that and adapt as restaurants have done for hundreds of years. Kind of what you're saying is the difference between these two ads really comes down to the creative execution and how audience res- audience res- responded to both. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Barbara. So let's talk about the other restaurant ads that were part of the program. Um, and how you felt they performed. Um, the one that came in second after DoorDash was Jimmy John's, which, as you have pointed out, was a newcomer. Um, so how how did they perform? What was good about this ad? And what does that, you know, what does the brand take away from, from this experience? Well, I, I really will say, I mean, I thought it was a very good execution from Jimmy John's of, uh, of a fresh new idea that was fun. Um, it, it, uh, uh, it had, uh, in it, Brad Garrett, who did a really nice job of playing the, the, uh, bologna mobster, uh, the king of, the king of bologna, uh, in that, in that spot, the nemesis of Jimmy John's. And, uh, uh, I thought it was, it was, you know, it was introducing, uh, basically, you know, a core brand concept for Jimmy John's, a core brand proposition in a really direct and yet fun way um, that that felt uh, uh, like it could it could really break through. And people responded with with search. They had good they had good placement. They were in the first half of the game. Um, that helps, too. Uh, so that was an, that was just a very nice overall combination of, of the right things to do if you're in the Super Bowl. You know, I think the Inspire Brands team behind that Jimmy John spot, um, you know, for them, I think it probably is a, uh, it probably reinforces to them the value of national TV advertising of reaching a lot of people and telling, 
telling the story you want them to know about what you offer. You know, I would also add in there that what Jimmy Dons did was strategically smart uh, about um, having the lead protagonist is, is Tony Polonovich because um, the majority of the competition for Jimmy John's is mom and pop sandwich shops. And he kind of represents that. And I think they're drawing a contrast that they're higher quality. They are your neighbor's sandwich shop, but they're higher quality in many different ways that are uh, cost of entry uh, attributes that are important to people. And it also provided Jimmy John's a way to expand beyond their fast delivery, which they've been advertising for years, freaky fast and uh, talk about some of the uh, more important category cost of entry attributes having to do with quality and ingredients and the provenance of those ingredients. So then in third place is another newcomer, uh, Chipotle. Um, so, you know, it's kind of surprising that they're a newcomer, um, you know, to this list. But, um, you know, what was it about their ads uh, that made it effective and, um, you know, and resonated with the with the viewers. You know, I, what I what I really liked about the creative execution for Chipotle is they, they decided to tackle a, a current issue, the environment, with um, a combination of, you know, sort of authenticity, in fact, with some humor. You had this this boy and his sister uh, sort of interacting in a, in a humorous way. Um, and it really got a message across that they wanna they wanted to send. I would say on the on the flip side, it was a fairly subtle execution, um, and in a game that rewards usually bigger, flashier ideas to 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 grab people. So, you know, that was a risk they took. Um, it didn't backfire at all, but it it certainly, you know, it, it landed them sort of in the middle of that list, not not at the top. And I think that that ad could have kind of fallen into kind of a preachy territory. Uh, and I don't think it did because I think Kevin referenced the humanity of the little boy and the playful interaction with his sister. I think it kept it real. But to reinforce yeah. what, what Kevin's saying, people watch the Super Bowl because the brain wants to have fun. And this was one of the more uh, purpose driven ads of sustainability that we saw in the Super Bowl. So coming in in fourth and fifth, we'll take the two together, um, you know, brands that everybody knows and fun brands that definitely fit in with the Super Bowl, Pizza Hut and McDonald's. Um, but what was uh, unique or different about their ads this year that resonated with the viewers? Well, I'll, I'll say about both of them. They both came in the pre-kick period right before the game started, which which is important to note because that that is good placement for and I'll let Bob talk to this. And strategically, it's a good placement for these kinds of brands, but it doesn't do quite as well as in-game ads. Um, Pre-kick, you still have a lot of people settling into their, you know, seats, so to speak, and uh, not yet really fully paying attention um, until the game really starts. So you you do sacrifice some of the um, engagement uh, to be in that early spot. And Bob, why don't you describe why that's a kind of a good time to be in there if you're one of these. Brands. Yeah. So I, I worked at Pizza Hut and I ran many pre-kick Super Bowl ads. So the, the theory is that you want to be pre-kick uh, for two reasons. Number one, you want that message to go out and you want people to, you know, uh, take some sort of action. 
uh, and uh, to, to order from Pizza Hut or McDonald's at that time on a pre-kick basis. And then it's uh, you're getting uh, roughly two-thirds of the audience, let's say two-thirds of the audience for maybe 40% of the price. So it's a great value. Now, to get those positions, Pizza Hut and McDonald's make other investments, uh, you know, with with the NFL. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's been the theory. And Pizza Hut's always been uh, pre-kick for very, very long. It's been a very successful strategy uh, for the brand. I thought it was interesting. Pizza Hut is the official sponsor of the NFL, and they didn't have any um, contextually relevant messaging in and around football. And, uh, you know, they had the right to kind of leverage that. It's an expensive sponsorship. They're not an official sponsor of the Super Bowl, but of the NFL. And I was anticipating that they would be doing something in and around that, and they didn't. But it was a, it was a, a neat spot. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Craig Robinson had some appeal. And, uh, and uh, it was certainly on brand because... Uh, he got into a little bit of an argument about how, who out pizzas the hut uh, when he was playing his Pac-Man game. And uh, it was a nice, it wasn't the strongest ad in, in the Super Bowl, but were uh, uh, the Super Bowl happenings, it ranked 49th. Uh, and, uh, but uh, it, was a, it was a nice execution. I think with McDonald's uh, and they ranked 55th and they were also pre-kipped. Um, I think it was a very nice execution, people singing in, in the cars, but you kind of can expect McDonald's to do that outside of the game. You know, that's just seems like it's typical McDonald's advertising that's fun and human centered. And there wasn't anything of distinction. And I think um, in some instances, in terms of the singing, some of it kind of folded in on top of each other. So maybe it was a little bit um, hard to understand at times. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting. Um, that was one of the only ads that I can remember of all 89 that had someone in a mask. Um, the the young woman who was um, at the, the, the window um, get, handing over the bag of McDonald's to the, the fellow in the car. Um, she was wearing a mask. And, and, and the, the takeaway was, thank you for driving through, right? That was the, the, the sort of tagline at the end. I, I think they got there their message across effectively. Um, but as Bob said, it's just not a, it's not a potentially a big enough idea for the Super Bowl. Do you think that with, you know, brands at Pizza Hut and McDonald's that are legacy for the Super Bowl that um, viewers don't pay as much attention to them because they, they're so, you know, omnipresent already? There, there is some of that. Um, I would agree. Novelty matters. Um, launching new products matters. Uh, the, the number one most effective ad in the whole game, um, as measured by EDO, was that ad uh, by Dexcom, which is the glu continuous glucose monitoring app um, that is really kind of a breakthrough for, for diabetics. Um, it, and it was promoted by Nick Jonas, who has type 1 diabetes. Um, that was a very effective combination a new product that is relevant to a surprisingly large number of people in America, right? 13%, according to the CDC, um, have diabetes. So that means a lot of us know someone, care about someone or multiple people who have diabetes, even if it doesn't affect us, right? So it's a, it's a big idea for a, a big audience. Um, and it was new for most people. 
and it was promoted by an authentically very compelling celebrity that has a you know a big fan base so that's a that's a big combination um and you know it's not it's not the one that wins the opinion uh awards from madison avenue uh reviewers right um but it was super effective were there any ads that flopped well you know i mean that's all relative is the what is the is the way that edo would describe it right you really have to kind of take it in context and we've got historical uh context we've got competitive context um so you know it, it is a very specific ad to a specific set of people um but you know i i would say as a category like the lowest performing ad of the whole game that we measured was from um don and swiffer uh and it was the it was the one that said come clean to close the chore gap um it's a it's a good idea a good message but it was in pre-kick it just doesn't seem to really sort of the execution didn't break through in 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 grabbing people's attention in that that sort of distracted pre-kick time period and so you know um from my perspective if you're going to do that you have to have a little bit more wow in it um celebrity or 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 excitement uh and you probably want to choose a different time probably more in game um and create more of that that engagement um and that's a tough category i will say too just generally in the game sure uh yeah i mean who wants to talk about cleaning and and all that when you're talking <laughs> right. about the game, you know, you have to do that after, you know. Right, um, right. Um, there, you know, this year was also, there were some favorites that, um, you know, didn't participate, um, Budweiser, you know, and that they made these choices. How did, how did those not being a participant, how does that kind of affect the brand? Well, I, I find it um, particularly clever of Anheuser-Busch to have made that announcement that Budweiser wasn't going to be in the game um, because it was true. It's a true statement and they, they are a classic participant in the game. But Anheuser-Busch had uh, five very you know notable ads in the game between Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, Michelob Ultra Organic Seltzer and the Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade. And then Anheuser-Busch had a first of its kind from them, a family of brands spot that was also really good. It did well. It was well reviewed creatively. And, um, you know, so it was a little bit of a cute move, I think. <laughs> and and I respect it, uh, you know, by them to say, oh, yeah, we're not going to be in the game or we're going to promote uh, vaccine awareness and, and, and participation instead of using that money for the game. But then they did spend a lot of money in the game anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they got both, they got it both ways, I'd say. Um, so what do you think is the long lasting appeal of the Super Bowl ads? You know, as I mentioned before, you know, there were TV shows that are bringing in classic ads that we all remember. Um, so how important is that to, you know, to, to make something that's creative and memorable and what does it offer to brands, you know, in a long play? Well, you know, I think the, the Super Bowl is a cultural moment and in this super fragmented media landscape that we have where, you know, more and more people are watching TV on demand. Uh, on many different types of screens, it's harder and harder to reach everyone all at once. And the Super Bowl is really the last 
way you can reach most of the country uh, all at once and create a cultural moment, right? Um, so, so that's why the Super Bowl is so valuable to so many different types of brands. Um, but it, it, it really is important to parse what, what the efficacy really means. Um, those long-lasting ads can be very different, but they, they need to be long-lasting for the right reasons for the brand. You know, just because we all can remember the WhatsApp ad, you know, from two decades ago or more in, in the Super Bowl, you know, that, that, that iconic, fun, buzzwordy type thing, that, that can or can't work for the brand. It, it really depends on what the brand's goals are. And there are plenty of memorable ads that didn't do any work for the brand. And what we think are more important are the, the, those sort of high impact, very engaging ads that do a lot of hard work for the brand. Memorable is probably not the right metric, really, um, because memorable can be for a lot of reasons, and some of them are not good. <laughs> and, you know, so uh, uh, we, we really do recommend to all of our clients um, and anyone else who will ask, you know, to, to focus on that combination of what is your goal? What is the things that you need to get through to people? And what are you going to get out of it? As, as, a, as a brand that at the end of the day has to sell stuff. And, um, and then make sure you're doing it in an authentic, compelling, creative way with good, with good people involved. And, and often that means celebrities. Uh, so that's, that's the way we think about it. I mean, there are, there are things that we've seen in our data that really will surprise you about how strongly a, a, a really good uh, Super Bowl ad will continue to do um, in regular TV for weeks and months afterwards. I find it fascinating that when you take um, one of these 60 or 30 second Super Bowl spots and you cut them down to a 15 second spot, you see that they will continue to have the same level of outperformance that they had in their longer versions in these shorter versions. And that's a tactic that I think a lot of people understand, but to see it in our data so clearly that a 15 second spot can can work um, at almost as hard as a thirty uh, when it's got the right creative material at its heart. Um, that's a that's a big takeaway because you can run a lot more efficiently uh, from a cost perspective these fifteens and carry your your Super Bowl campaign through for longer for 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 the money for the budget that you have. Last question: um, There are so many outlets for brands to spend their advertising dollars. Um, so why is national advertising so important for them? You know, I'll, I'll say a bit, but I'll, I'll also really defer to Bob on, on this, on the, on the CMO's perspective. The, the thing about TV, and especially national TV, is that it has that ability to grab people. It is sight, sound, and motion. It is not skippable, right? It's not the kind of YouTube ad that you can skip after a few seconds, right? And um, and the reach of a lot of people all at once is is impossible to replicate in other media these days. And on a kind of cost per thousand basis, TV, national TV in particular tends to be one of the most cost-effective ways to achieve the kind of goals that you set for your campaigns. To buy... A large audience on most digital video platforms will cost you a lot more money 
on a relative basis than national TV. So those are all the the sort of you know the the measurement professionals' ways of thinking about why national TV. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think those are all good points. I think uh, you know again, I've worked for large chains at anywhere from three thousand to six thousand uh, locations, and uh, the scale is what we liked about it and thought it was highly affordable. And I've worked for four restaurant companies, and I can tell you, uh, being at the controls of the wheel, it works. It, it's, a, it's effective. And then there's also um, a statement of you're asserting your leadership when you're running national advertising, especially in high-impact programming such as like live, uh, live sports programming. So um, anyway, it's, you know, it's the foundational element of, of a CM, CMO and their toolbox if they have multi-point locations. A large and, you know, and Barbara, I'll say like, uh, you know, if I'm a, an owner of some franchises, uh, uh, you know, I'd be advocating for the brands that I'm attached to, to, to spend on national TV, because, you know, many times this is a consensus decision. You've got to get more than one person to agree on where you're going to eat. And, TV is the best medium that we've seen for creating that kind of consensus reach, right? Where you can have that kind of impact on people and, and give them a common ground for uh, making choices, whether it's, you know, uh, a restaurant or, or uh, other big decisions. Um, I'd recently took a road trip with my family across country and uh, all five of us had something to say about where we stopped for lunch and dinner. So um, you know, I think it, it does very much matter to create these kinds of mass um, engaging uh, uh, ad campaigns. Thank you guys so much. This was really great to talk about the ads and learn more about how brands can understand their customer base more and how to reach them on a creative level.